Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and they and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life and only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Welcome up, Nick, guys. First time preaching at Anchor Beaches. Hand over to you, brother. Thanks, mate. I know. We looked at it before and we thought, it's just way too much hype going on. <laughs> Turn it back a bit. Lovely to see you guys. And, um, and such an honour and it's such a privilege to be able to open up God's Word and share with you. Um, I feel the weight of it every time I preach, it never gets old or it never sort of ceases to amaze me how much I feel the weight of it. Um, it's such a powerful and, and holy thing to be able to share the Word of God and, and um, you know, it changed my life and it's changed a lot of people's lives in here and so, yeah, I don't take it lightly and it's such an honour and just, yeah, thank you for the honour and privilege to be able to share the Word here. It's, it's yeah, thanks Doss and thanks Callum, I really appreciate it. Um, my name's Nicholas, if I haven't met you, and um, I'm a member of this church, and um, yeah, love this family, and my beautiful wife, Natasha, is here as well, and we're newly married, and um, yeah, we're going to be sharing from John chapter 10 about Jesus being the good shepherd. Um, if this is your first time at church as well, if you've never been before, welcome. It might be a bit different. Um, I was feeling that when I was, what, 18 in 20, 2013, and I remember sitting in church for the first time being like, what is this? <laughs> and what is going on? And what's with the singing? And I remember like the inner skeptic in me being like, what's, this is so weird, but part of me sort of liked it. I'm like, I think I like this song. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't like listen to this music. So why do I like it? And, um, but welcome. And if you've never been to church before, um, yeah, hopefully this is a safe place for you and you feel that safety and that love. So yeah, welcome. Um, and also I remember going to church and being like, this is so weird. Is that, am I like, allowed to leave or I was like is this like a bit of a controlling thing like just be free <laughs> just be free um let me pray because I need help and um we all need help so let me pray father I just thank you for your spirit and lord I thank you that um you're here in this room god that you're real and that you're alive father you know I need help this was your idea and I just ask for your help um to speak your words to glorify Jesus 
I just ask for your help to understand what you're saying and, and communicate it clearly. I just ask for your help um, by your Holy Spirit just to, these, for, for these not to be a words like a lecture, but for this to be a transformative time that, a pe- that people can, and myself include, we can listen to your word and Lord, you could do what only you can do and speak to our hearts, love us, heal us, hold us and transform us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. This is your time to shine and, and, and we just ask that you would glorify Jesus. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Awesome. So, we're looking at Jesus being the Good Shepherd. We're looking at John chapter 10, and Dorster read that for us. Um, And the cool thing about Jesus is it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You're actually hearing me talk, and you might not have ever met me before or interacted with me, and you're sort of getting a taste of that being a message in sort of a vacuum. You're like, you're just hearing a message and there you go. But Jesus was in the first century in Palestine and he was giving this message or this parable and in response to a scenario. He was giving it in response to a situation. So the situation that he is responding to comes from John chapter 9 and that's the previous chapter. And it's a very, very interesting chapter. It's a very interesting scenario and it's all about the interaction between these guys called Pharisees and this guy who was born blind. And this whole um, parable that he tells is in response to this whole scenario, in response to what the Pharisees and, uh, were, how they treated this man and how Jesus treated this man. And you can see, when you, if you go home and you want to read chapter 9, you'll see it's literally a living uh, embodiment of Jesus being the good shepherd. Jesus talks figuratively and symbolically, but you see this embodied in chapter 9. And what happens in chapter 9 is there's a man who's born blind, and some of you guys might know the story, but Jesus comes across him, and this guy's been born from, uh, blind from birth. He's been, you know, blind for however old he is, but I think he's, I don't even, I don't even know, but he's old, and he's, <laughs> he's a grown man. <laughs> and... Um, but he's old enough to, for it to be pretty significant to live your life being born blind. And anyway, you see um, Jesus approach this man and he comes and meets him where he's at. He actually makes mud out of, the, um, out of his own, sl- randomly, saliva and dirt. He makes a mixture of mud and it's a really random way that, like, I don't, I don't understand it. But he puts this mud on the man's eyes and he says, go and wash And he goes and washes his eyes. And as he washes his eyes, he sees for the very first time in his life. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is a God who heals? He's a God who restores. And he's a God who sees the marginalized. It wasn't just about being blind. It was about being a religious outcast. He was outcast from the Pharisees and their religious order. And he was also outcast from society. And he's just this blind man who received a healing. And Long story short, I I don't have time to go into all the details, but basically the Pharisees come across him and the Pharisees are the religious teachers of the day and they have an interaction with him. And Jesus sees this going on and he knows what's going on and he tells our parable at Dorset in response to this. And the way the Pharisees treat this man is basically berating him, questioning him, saying that he could never be a child of God and he could never be a child of Moses because he's saying that this Jesus did a miracle. They are meticulous about following the letter of the law. They're meticulous about following all these little intricacies of doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing and doing this and doing this. And, 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 he, and they're ultimately meticulous about keeping this thing called the Sabbath. 
And they're upset because Jesus healed the guy on a, on a Friday, oh, was either Friday night or Saturday morning. It's probably Saturday during the day. But he, Jesus healed the guy on the Saturday, on the Sabbath. And that's why they're so upset about this. In this scenario, we see the Pharisees and how they value tradition and control over compassion and encountering God. They're what we call legalistic. So they value tradition of men and control over someone actually having a touch of the love of God, over someone experiencing a transformative moment with Jesus. Now, Jesus tells this parable that Dorse just read for us in John chapter 10, and he tells it in response to these Pharisees. And he wants us to see that Jesus is distinct from these types of leaders. These leaders who value working to try to get to God, these leaders who, try to, who value control and forcing um, people to try and jump through these hoops that they themselves don't even follow. He's telling this parable to say, hey, I know what the religious leaders have been like, but I'm different. Jesus is saying that he is a different leader, that he's a different shepherd, and he's a different way. The most important thing about what we read then is that Jesus is saying, I'm distinct from these guys, but they're also powerless to help you with your greatest challenge. These leaders are powerless to help us with our greatest challenge. And you and I, I've had it in my life, and you may have experienced it, but we have all faced one of the greatest challenges that we could ever imagine, and that is what Jesus alludes to as the wolf. In John chapter 10, we see this wolf come up, and it shows us something, and it shows us that we're vulnerable. Jesus alludes to us being like little sheep, like little fluffy sheep, <laughs> cute, cuddly, fluffy. But the problem that we have here with being, being called sheep, and Jesus calls us sheep, is that we're vulnerable. And the religious leaders of the time and the religious leaders of our day are not going to help us in our vulnerability. We are vulnerable. And we're vulnerable to the wolf. And we are vulnerable to a, um, as a sheep is to a wolf. And our vulnerability... In this scenario, and I believe, and it's my conviction, that Jesus is talking about our vulnerability to sin. Jesus speaks about this. Um, he speaks this parable to allude to the fact that these leaders or these religious leaders have no power to help us with our greatest fear and our greatest vulnerability. We are vulnerable to sin as sheep are vulnerable to a wolf. And we see that in this parable when we see the wolf coming. Um, sheep are so cute, but they're also really defenseless. <laughs> and we know that the wolf in this parable, uh, Jesus has to die. To He dies from the wolf. And we know in the Gospels that Jesus dies because of sin. So I've just drawn the conclusion there that this wolf that we see, this wolf is sin. Now, Sin's basically anything, so there's a lot of things to it, but it's basically self-centeredness or it's a rebellion against God or it's sort of exploiting other people. We see that a lot. But in this parable, we see something unique. The Bible talks a lot about like the culpability of sin, how, um, I don't know about you, 
I'm hoping you see it, but uh, for me at least, I'll just speak to myself. There's been things that I've done that I know that are wrong. There's been things that I've done that I'm culpable of in my life that it was my responsibility and I chose to do it. And that's, man, that's definitely sin and that's what the Bible teaches. But in this parable, we see something unique. We see this scenario of a little innocent sheepy, so a little sheepy, little fluffy, cute, but then you've got a wolf, right? So the, 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 the sheepy is not vulnerable to the wolf because of anything wrong it's done. The sheep isn't vulnerable to the wolf because it's decided to be rebellious and decided to be bad. I mean, maybe if it wanders away from the shepherd and you can make that case. But what I'm seeing when Jesus is telling the parable, he's remembering this man who was born blind. He's going, yeah, you got sin and yeah, you got junk. But it's almost this empathy of going, you're born into something that's not your fault. And in this, in this parable, we see that sin is almost like something we're helpless against. As innocent, as a, not innocent's the wrong word, but as vulnerable as a sheep is to a wolf, it's like us with sin. That there's some sins in our life that we're actually helpless against, and it's because we just were born into this world, and it just sucks. And you're just like, I hate this. And you may feel bound, you may feel trapped, you may feel like, I just can't do anything about it. And Jesus is going, I hear you, and I get it. It may not have been something that you've done wrong, but it may have just been something that's just happened, just from the simple fact of being born into the world. Romans 5.17 says this. So Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. So it wasn't your sin that caused death to rule over many. It was Adam's sin. And yeah, you can make the case that, you know, we would have done the same thing as Adam when he, when he ate from, the, from what his wife gave him in the garden. But from the sin of Adam, we're just born into this mess and we're like, oh, no, I'm stuck. Sin is the greatest threat to us as sheep, just like a wolf is to, um, sorry, as humans, just as a wolf is to sheep. And we're defenseless. And the problem that Jesus brings up for us is that our Pharisees, our religious leaders, the people who value working to try to get to God, they, they're just as powerless to do anything about it as we are. So what I'm getting at is, are we helpless to sin? Have you ever experienced that in your life where you're just feeling, you're just like, man, I'm just stuck. I'm helpless. And there's no way out. It seems like I've tried religion. I've tried some sort of spirituality or I've tried working hard. I've tried being good enough and I'm just stuck in this cycle. I've got good news. Because you gotta get you gotta have you gotta have the reality before you get to the good news. You gotta have the reality before you get to the good news. And the good news is Jesus is our answer. He is our shepherd, and he is a good shepherd. He is distinct from the powerless Pharisees, he's distinct from the powerless religious leaders. I we were listening to something the other day and we heard someone say, you know, sometimes religious leaders misrepresent Jesus, and I de- I might have I've definitely done that in my life, but don't look at the religious leaders look at Jesus. Like the, this illustration that we had was someone said, if someone put on a Michael Jordan basketball jersey and robbed the bank, you wouldn't go and think that Michael Jordan was a criminal. <laughs> and it's the same as religious leaders. It's like, just because they're saying the name of Jesus and they go do something bad, it, it doesn't mean that Jesus is a criminal. <laughs> Jesus is our good shepherd and he cares for us. 
and he cares so deeply for each one of you and he cares for me and he is a comforter and the warmth of Jesus' embrace as a shepherd is the warmth of a father embracing a son, the warmth of a mother embracing a daughter. It's the warmth of the affection of a heavenly father. The care that he has for you is meticulous. The meticulous nature that the Pharisees had to the law is the meticulous care that Jesus has to your heart. He actually worries about your heart more than he worries about how much you tithe, how much you give, how much you care about, you know, your appearance or how much you care about your visual um, aesthetic or how much you care about how good you appear. He actually cares about your heart. He cares for you in as many ways as there's sand on the seashore, as many stars in the sky is how many caring thoughts that he has for you. And we see in this parable, in John chapter 10, we see a number of ways in which he cares. And I could go on all day about how Jesus cares for us and how he's our good shepherd and how he's distinct from these religious leaders. I could go on all day, but I've got a couple of things that I want to point out. In verse 3, in verse 3, you'll see uh, it says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. How does Jesus care for you? Well, he cares for us by his voice, that the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through his tender, affectionate voice. And when the Lord speaks to you, you know it because it's a love that grips your heart. It's a love that grips your soul. It's a love that reaches into the depths of your inmost being and it sees you and it knows you and it cares for you, but it'll also call you higher and Jesus will pull you and call you to a higher way. And he cares for us enough to speak to us and show us the way. The next way that Jesus cares for us is he cares for us in the way that he lived. We see in verse 4, Jesus doesn't just um, talk the talk, he walks the walk and he says, after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is distinct from the religious leaders because he doesn't just say things to us, he actually shows us things. And the way he lived with the most upright character, with the consistency, he shows us patience day to day. The Lord is patient with us He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's patient every single day. Can you imagine being patient for one hour like God is patient with us? <laughs> we would, yeah, we would melt. But He is patient with us every single day. He's patient. He's caring. He has the most upright, caring character that you could ever imagine. He lives the life that we couldn't live. But then you hear His words and He says, follow me. And you go, well, I can't do that. He goes, I know. But I'm going to call you to it anyway, and I'm going to empower you. And we'll get to that in a second. But Jesus, the point is, he's distinct from the hypocrisy of religious leaders. He's distinct from the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Verse 4, we see that he actually leads his sheep. The Pharisees don't care about the sheep. They just want the tithe. They just want the appearance. They want the esteem. They want the honor. But Jesus says, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you what love looks like. I'm going to show you what love and care looks like. And you know, we're going to be limited to do this, but Jesus is unlimited. He is unlimited in his capacity to show us the way. Um, 
Jesus cares for us and he's a good shepherd because he knows you. How good is that? Not only does he show us the way, he knows, he gets it. He's beyond our comprehension and he's majestic and he still knows you. In verse 7 and verse 11, we see two phrases he says. So, verse 7, he says, I'm the gate. And verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. These are two massive statements. And he's saying, he is the way to the Father and he is the Father. That blows your mind. He's saying, he is the way to God, but he's saying, he is God. He's saying that he is the way, but he is one with the Father. And this all-powerful, majestic God beyond our comprehension, beyond our wildest imagination, this God who's beyond anything we could ever fathom, our mind can't even get around the fact that He could be the Son and also be God. He's beyond us. And this incomprehensible God knows you. He sees you and He knows you. He understands your heart. He understands your feelings. He understands your thoughts, He understands your successes, He understands your failures. He sees you and He knows you. And this God who's beyond all description says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own sheep and they know me. So if you've never felt known before, if you felt misunderstood before, I want you to know that Jesus knows you, He understands you and He knows whatever it is, He knows what it's like. I think... It's one thing for someone to care for us, and it's one thing for someone to know us and love us, but you really know that someone cares for you when they know your wolf. You really know that someone cares for you and they understand you when they know the thing that you face that's been bigger than you could, have, you could um, hope to share. When, you, when, when they understand what the most difficult thing is that you've ever faced, that's how you know that they really care for you if they don't run away. And our greatest threat as little sheepies is the wolf. And our greatest threat is known by him. The wolf is sin um, in this scenario to us. And the sheep cannot overcome the wolf by itself. So not only does he know the thing that we face, but he also knows that we're helpless to it. He also knows that there's no way a sheep could defend themselves against it. Not only does he know what sin you've faced in your life, but he does something about it. Just like the Pharisees were uh, indifference to the Pharisees who were powerless to do anything about it. Our shepherd does the most ridiculous, scandalous thing that we could ever imagine. And our shepherd would actually die for his sheep. He would actually lay down his own life, his own blood, his own breath for a sheep. Imagine for a second if you got a dog and you would die for your dog. Some people may do that. Or imagine if you got a cat. Imagine if you got a cat. <laughs> and you imagine someone dying for their cat. Imagine a farmer dying for their pig or their cow. It just wouldn't happen. He doesn't make sense. And that's the thing about Jesus. It doesn't make, we're so logical and rational, but it doesn't make sense that a shepherd would lay down his life. It's scandalous and it's crazy, but he's not a shepherd who's doing it for the pay. And he's not a shepherd who's doing it because it makes sense. And he's not a shepherd who's doing it for the power. We see Jesus talking about verse 13 and 15. He makes a distinction between him and the Pharisees, the clearest one we get. And he said, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. 
and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The reason why he does this scandalous, illogical act is because he actually loves us. He's not doing it for pay. He's not doing it for notoriety. He's doing it because he made us and he cares for us. So the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, the powerful for the weak, the rich for the poor, the almighty for the small, (laughs) the dead, and he makes himself dead so we can be alive. We see this in Romans 5.18 where it says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin and death through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Romans 5.18 says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin and death through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just stay in the grave for us. And Dawson talked about it before, and he mentioned it before, but he cares for us because he's victorious for us. He's not a weak, wimpy shepherd. He's a shepherd who's powerful and he's mighty to save. And in verse 18, we see this clearly. Jesus says, no one can take my life from me. I love that as well. He doesn't lay it down because he has to or because someone took it. He lays it down. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He, he comes back to life, raises again. But Jesus um, is like this shepherd in the parable. He lays down his life, but he rises again on the third day in victory. He rises again so we can have a life eternal. He rises again so we can have life with Him. I want us to think just for a second. What's the sheep's contribution? What does the sheep contribute to this scenario? What do they add to it? Are they good enough? Do they follow follow the Pharisees' teaching? Do they... I don't know, are they holy enough? Do they scrub up enough? Do they do anything to help the shepherd fight the wolf? (laughs) My question for us is what did the sheep here do for themselves? What did they do for themselves? And the answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. It was the work of their shepherd, Jesus. He died for them. He rose in victory over the grave, over sin, and over the the curse of the law. All the sheep did was watch. All the sheep did was watch. They watched their good shepherd be slain for them by the wolf. In their place, they were helpless to this wolf. It was the scandalous love, the otherworldly care, the outrageous gift that their shepherd was slain so they could live. He let sin chain himself to the grave so we could be liberated. What a friend, what a shepherd. Look to where your salvation comes from and simply believe in the Son of God's work for you. Someone put it to me, um, actually a preacher I heard one time and it just cut me to the heart, but it's the cross plus nothing. It's seriously the cross plus nothing. 
And sometimes we have to repent of trying to add to the cross, but it's just seriously the cross plus nothing. It's Jesus' work plus nothing else we can add. I love the fact that Jesus saves us. He gives us eternal life. He rescues us from the religious leaders. He rescues us from sin, but he promises us abundant life now. And I'm going to finish with this. He doesn't just give us eternal life, but in verse 10, he says, I want to give you life and life abundantly. Life and life abundantly. And when I was thinking about this, I was just praying and this came to my mind and, you know, it's quite um, neat. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we have Psalm 23. So if you want to turn there, when we talk about abundant life, you know, it could be like having a house or something like that. Like some people say those things, but I don't know. I think abundant life is walking hand in hand with the Lord and just seeing what He wants to do with your life. What He wants to do with your life. And um, so if you want to turn to Psalm 23 with me, and we're going to see what this abundant life looks like. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. What's such a beautiful description of what this abundant life looks like. And it's driven and empowered, this life after Jesus raises us from the dead and we trust Him. It's driven by His oil. And you see at the end there, He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. It's the oil that was used by the shepherd to keep pests and bugs away from the sheep's head. Well, pests and bugs would try and get in the sheep's mind and the shepherd would smother it with oil and it would keep their minds sound. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit and it keeps pests and bugs away from our mind. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit, an indescribable person, a tangible encounter of intimate love that protects our minds. It's the oil that soothes. It's the oil that calms. It's the oil of being filled with God's Spirit that melts our questions into trust. It melts our pains into love. It melts our sinful habits into holiness. It's the oil that calms us from distractions to hear and obey our shepherd's voice. It's the oil of the shepherd's heart. More than that, it's the very spirit being poured out into our hearts. This isn't just a theory. It's just not an idea. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's this oil that we see in the abundant life of, of Psalm 23 that fills our hearts, it fills our beings, and it fills our lives. It greases the wheels of our life. And when you have a touch from the oil of God, when you have a touch from the Spirit of God and it fills your heart, it sets us on course to live the abundant life following Jesus' voice 
and following His actions to be His children. You are His children, His sheep, and He anoints you and overflows you with His oil. You guys are His sheep, but you have a good shepherd. And you have a good shepherd who's not like the religious legalistic leaders. You have a good shepherd who is not powerless to save. You have a good shepherd who isn't powerless against sin. You have a good shepherd who loves you. He knows you. And he wants to fill you with this oil of his intimacy. Let me pray. And we'll um, we'll turn our hearts to him in worship. Lord, we just thank you that you are a good shepherd. And... Jesus, I just pray that every word that I spoke, every word that's uh, aligned with your heart and aligned with your word would be upheld, Father. And I pray that every word that's not from your heart and not from your word would just be uh, allowed to fall to the ground. Lord, more than anything, we just want to know you. We want to see you as our good shepherd. We want to see that we can trust in you and not trust in ourselves. And Lord, I just ask you would help us, help us to see you clearly, help us to see you rightly. And Lord, I ask that in worship, we would open our hearts to you, that you would fill us with that love poured into our heart. You would remind us of the love that you've already poured into some of our hearts. And you would let us know that we are loved, that we are sheep, and you're a good shepherd. We give you all honor, we give you all the glory, and we give you all the praise, Jesus. And we love you. Amen. Amen.